welcome to 20 Not Something, the podcast for 20-somethings who haven't quite figured out what their something is yet. Each week, I'll be speaking to a different guest about their experiences of this messy decade to reassure you that everything turns out all right in the end. Because doing something in your 20s can actually mean doing anything that makes you happy. Today, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by none other than multi-award-winning comedian Jade Adams. Originally from Bristol, Jade started her 20s venture with a drama, theatre and media degree under her belt, but still didn't really know what she was going to do next. Having had a flair for creativity and performing in her youth doing freestyle disco dancing, Jade went on to do various amateur dramatic events around Bristol while working at Asda on the side. Gripped by the theatre world, Jade continued to perform in any way she could, including several stints as a priest in a blow-up moving cathedral at festivals across the UK. In her mid-twenties, she made the big move up to London, where she tried to get her foot in the stand-up comedy door. Struggling to get work as a newbie, Jade found herself in the East London drag queen scene, and feeling more at home than ever, performed regularly at multiple venues around London. From doing impersonations of Adele to flamboyant and glamorous sketches and sequin numbers as seamless as the quick wit she accompanied them with. In 2014, Jade scooped up first prize at the Funny Woman Awards in Leicester Square Theatre and from that landed an agent. And as you all know, the rest is history. Now in her early 30s, Jade continues to dazzle audiences with her performances, striking a delicate balance between humour while exploring issues such as body positivity, the working class and feminism. She has gained several awards at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and more recently long-listed for an Emmy Award for her perfectly poignant modern feminist sketch, Serious Black Jumper. Jade's 20s journey just goes to show that it is always worth being unapologetically yourself. I have never met anyone who is more daring, confident, yet utterly humble than Jade, and she's the perfect example of how we could all do well to love ourselves just a little bit more. Jade Adams, welcome to 20 Not Something. Emma, you wrote that very well. You should write all of my biogs. <laughs> sure, I'm up for it. Yeah. I'll tell you what I'll do is if I ever, I mean, I'm, t- I'm way too young now, but if I ever do like an autobiography, you can write it. If you're writing that way about me, we're in. And also, I should prefix something. I didn't work at Asda. I, so I worked at Asda when I was 16 for three months and then got fired for eating a pro wanton off the fish counter. I just needed to get that. I, I've had plenty of other jobs, um, uh, loads of others that we can talk about. But yeah, uh, the fish mon- the fish, the fishmongering at Asda ended quite abruptly. <laughs> oh my gosh fired after three months that's I think that's more of an achievement to be honest I did all of my training and then I ate I now I ate something off the deli counter and they didn't like that very much yeah they um they used me as an example so I had to quit so I technically quit before I got sacked but I would have got sacked <laughs> I love that I love that from you um so I'm going to kick things off asking the same question I ask everyone and that is when you were looking into your 20s decade what was the one thing that you wanted the most do you know what I just didn't know what I wanted I knew that there was something about me that people enjoyed because I would always sort of make friends uh, quite quickly I, I mean I would fall out with friends as well eventually but I knew there was something about me that people were attracted to so I just knew I had to do something with that but I'll be honest with you I didn't know I was so I, I just thought if I just say yes to everything something will stick 
And you were a lot into the um, amateur dramatics and drama and all of that. So what sort of, what what was it about that that you enjoyed so much? Well, I went, so I I wasn't really into any sort of creativity, except for I drew, I drew a lot when I was younger. I used to, apparently when I was a kid, if I didn't have white paper, I would just draw on the walls. Um, <laughs> no, I used to draw, <clears throat> I used to draw on the refrigerator. And my mum had a white refrigerator and apparently I used to just draw on that if I didn't have clean white paper. I couldn't I couldn't draw on paper that had anything on the other side. I mean, very wasteful child, let's be honest. But it was the eighties it was the eighties and the nineties, so I think I, we can be forgiven for the past. Um but I yeah, so it was drawing and I did freestyle disco dancing with my sister at my auntie's dance school in Bristol. And that was the only form of creativity I did. I was hanging out with some rough girls at school. I mean, I'm sure they're not rough anymore, but we did, you know, like we used to smoke fags and, well, I'll be honest, Emma, they lit the school toilets on fire and then blamed me for it. <laughs> and my parents had to come in and, and they my parents said to uh, my head teacher, look, our Jade is many things, but an arsonist, she is not. And um, they got in trouble because they sort of realised that I hadn't done it because they all just went, Jade did it uh, and I it was really bad. But oh then God. I was sort of sat on my own at school and this is like, I've, I mean, I've spoken about this on other podcasts, but there was a sort of sliding do- doors moment in my life. I was sat in the playground. I had my lunch on my lap and I was a bit upset. And these girls came over to me and asked me if I wanted to come out ha- and hang out in the music room with them. And they were sort of like um, middle class girls because the school that I went to was a comprehensive school. It wasn't private, but the school was sort of nice. It was a nice school in Bristol, St. Mary Redcliffe and Temple School. And these girls were like really middle class girls. And they came and asked me if I wanted to join them. And it was through their influence and and their lives that I sort of got interested in music and did a GCSE uh, music exam, which I got a, a, an unprecedented, uh, not an unprecedented, that's the wrong word. I got a um, an A star, which no one was expecting. And they, the school asked me to open my results on BBC television. Uh, they were doing like a sort of, you know, GCSE uh, sort of thing on it that day. And they asked me to do it. And I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to do this. No, 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 no. And um, they were like, no, Jay, we want you to open. And I was like, no, I'm not going to open because I know how much I've, I, I've revised. And they were like, no, Jade, we want you to open your results. <laughs> um, and it was because I got incredible results compared to what they predicted for me so like the a star mm. music was massive um and then it sort of uh you know with the encouragement of an excellent music teacher that we had at Redcliffe I uh went from this person that didn't have much creativity in their life apart from the dance to someone that was singing in choirs and I did some an- amateur musical theatre classes outside I went to there was a chap called John Redgrave and he used to run a um a musical theatre thing every Saturday and after I sort of stopped doing disco dancing, that's where I went and just got interested. I mean, I was never in, I was never main parts in anything. I, I, I mean, I haven't had a main part. I'll be honest, I haven't had a main part in acting until I was recently in Sophie Willen's BBC Two pilot, Alma's Not Normal. That was probably the first main part I've ever had. And that took me, <laughs> that's taken me all this time as well, because I, I always knew that I could be a main part. So, for example, mm. at school, they did um, Romeo and Juliet at, uh, at, my, at my, we did sort of a version of it. And I always, you know, I thought, I'm the nurse. I'm going to be the nurse. I'm clearly going to be the nurse. I'm like <laughs> nurse material. I'm slightly fat and I'm a bit working class. I'm definitely going to be the nurse. Do you know what I was, Emma? I was the <laughs> nurse's assistant, Peter. And I, I can hear you now. You're going, Jade, who's Peter? 
I don't know who Peter is, but I'm telling you what, Emma, that part was the biggest part in the show. They would, they could have renamed it Romeo and Peter by the end of it. <laughs> no small parts, there's only small people. That is so, so true. <laughs> well, you say you were never a main part, but as a stand-up comedian, you are the show. So exactly. I feel like you you definitely redeemed yourself there. <laughs> well, I just I just spent I just spent my teenage years and my twenties just saying yes to everything and with the support of my parents as well, who a lot of the time didn't understand a lot of the stuff that I was doing. Like when I took took them to some of the sort of more obscure queer shows that I was doing in London, they sort mm. of they, they enjoyed them, but obviously they're, you know, <laughs> working class Bristolian um uh couple who hadn't ever experienced this sort of thing before and they mm. my parents were sort of like jade knows what she's doing we don't understand it but jade knows <laughs> <laughs> she'll get somewhere eventually when you have mm. as well i mean you know you said you, you, like i've said before you absolutely ooze confidence and it's something that is very inspiring to see but you know you've also said in the past that you are a, a realist and you do have that you are quite hard on yourself do you do you recognize when things are going well for you yeah, I absolutely do. And I, I, I definitely stop and I smell the roses. And I think that's very important in your life to, if you get something that you've wanted, it give yourself a moment to enjoy it. Because if there's, if you don't have those moments where you enjoy something, then what is the point of living? Mm. And I know it's, uh, hard for some people who suffer with mental health issues to be able to do that but if you just give yourself a 10 minute break during the day where you can just have a coffee look out the window and just you know think about the gratitudes that you have think about the things that you're grateful for I I definitely do that I you know I'll have I'll have moments in my life where I'm like oh that's great um but it all I mean I'll be honest with you I had a huge massive um, a life-changing moment happened when I was 25. When my sister died in 2011. And there's, mm. you know, it was, I mean, it was nearly 10 years ago now. Um, so, we, you know, I'm sort of, I'm, you know, much further along in my grief and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it stays with you mm. for your life. And, you know, I, I would do anything to have her back, but that's not a, that's not a possibility. So I sort of try and see silver linings in, um, in, in that. And, mm. you know, not immediately. I mean, the first three years were horrific. Um, yeah. But, you know, you sort of, you time is a great healer. I mean, all of these terrible cliched sentences are true. And our parents always say that to us in our 20s as well. When you're having a problem or you go to someone who's older than you and you say, oh, I'm struggling with this. And they'll come out with these like insane sentences that you've heard over and over again. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s and I was like, all of these expressions that my mum has given me my whole life actually are true. Mm. and time is a great healer and I'm telling you what I know that this podcast is about being in your 20s but I would never be in my 20s again I'm so glad I'm out of it because <laughs> you just don't you just don't know what you just don't know what you are doing is the right thing and you're yeah. so worried about making mistakes but actually you're meant to mm. I, I mean, no one's ever put it more perfectly than that. And I think it's really interesting that you said, you know, your mum had always told you these things, but it was only when you got into your 30s that you realised they were true. And I'm always trying to figure like, why is that? You know, we've been told these things, like be patient. And I think it does come from the fact that right now we can get anything instantly. And it's that instant gratification, which is like why we really struggle to 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 be in our 20s and be so uncertain about so many different things? Well, 
I was watching the um, the wonderful Netflix show the other day with David Attenborough, which if not, if your listeners mm. haven't watched, uh, get the tissues out because it's essentially Granddad saying goodbye to us all and giving us a stern telling off at the end of it. And what? And I was looking at his life and he says at the beginning of it, I was born at the perfect time because he's witnessed so many changes in our lifestyle um, in his in his decade. And now he's about to, you know, he's 93 years old and at some point in the next, well, I'm going to say 10 years, he looks quite well, but, you know, in the next 10 years, he's not going to be with us anymore. And he, he you know, he's he's experienced life uh, before social media, I feel really sorry for the people that are uh, are sort of they they've known nothing other than social media because I was a little mm. bit out of that. I remember my first mobile phone. I was I think I was like seventeen years old when I got my first mobile, and then that was like way before social media was on the mobile phones. That was just text and phone and a bit of snake. I had a, mm-hmm. um, a Nokia sixty sixty six ten. I think it was. Oh my gosh, same. That was my first phone. Oh, no go. way. Yeah. I had, I had a Buffy the Vampire Slayer cover on it and it used to, um, I used, I bought a ringtone, which was the Buffy theme tune. I was obsessed. I love that. I love that. I love it when you had to Bluetooth, but you only could have parts of songs on your phone. So there would <laughs> yeah. only be like, <laughs> yeah, no, I can. I feel like I'm of a, I'm of a specific generation who does remember life without it. So I'm, mm. I find it, I think a lot easier than young people that are probably even five years younger than me or 10 years younger than me to go without my phone. Now, my boyfriend would disagree with this because he says I'm on my phone all the time, but my life and stuff, I'm on emails as well. I'm not just sort of flipping through social media, but I am very good at going, okay, I'm not having a good time right now. Let's just delete some apps and just get on with the day turn I, I i also another thing i'll say to everyone is turn off your notifications every single one of them your phone makes it really hard for you to do so but if you can spend 20 minutes just doing it you're you're not constantly chirped at by something you can't control and then it just gives you that little sort of um it gives you that sort of uh control over something uh that you think you're in control of but you're not mm, yeah, that's a good tip so bringing it back to you then, when in 2011, you obviously made the big move up to London. Um, what sort of prompted that? And were you excited? Were you dreading it? Because that was in your mid-20s, wasn't it? Yeah. So I was, it was 2010, actually. It was the latter end of 2010. I um, had been a priest in an inflatable church at music festivals. Another one of those situations where I just said yes to something. I met a chap called Clayton Wright, who's now still my best friend or one of them. And he uh, and I and another chap called Matthew Blake, we all moved in together in East London. I'd sort of, I I had been living in Wales for a, a, a short, well, a, from 2004 to 2010, I was in Cardiff mm-hmm. or I was in South Wales. And I'd always sort of just, I'd, I I was living in Trafalgar where I went to university. Then I went to Cardiff because I was getting more work in Cardiff. And then I went to London because I was getting more work in London. Mm. And I just sort of waited to move to London, knowing full well I had to for my job. Because loads of people had said to me, if you want to be in the entertainment industry, you have to live in London. And I'll be honest, you do. Um, I, I mean, some people are doing it up. There's, a, you know, also living in Manchester is a really good point. But you just want to mm. sort of be around media cities if you want to be in that industry, because it just means you can get to stuff really really quickly. 
Um, and so I made the big move to London and uh, just because I wanted to be a comedian. My boss had said to me at the restaurant that I worked in, I was a manager at this place called Milgi in Cardiff that was like, it's like the cultural, it, it changed Cardiff's cultural landscape in the 15 years it was open and um lots of people that are now in the entertainment industry have worked there or had something to do with it and loads of artists and musicians and stuff have all come through that area so I used to manage that restaurant I say manage I I was all right um (laughs) (laughs) the girls used to leave me a list I get the list done and then I put some red lipstick on and flirt with boys that was basically my job (laughs) and um I just was in London quite a lot and I wasn't working as much so I just decided to make the move and it wasn't easy to begin with I was skint uh for quite some time I um worked in horrible bars and clubs got treated like absolute shit by by managers and bosses of venues that I'd got to work mm-hmm. in. And I just sort of, again, said yes to everything, found the uh, queer community, found drag queens, found cabaret, found stand up and just sort of, uh, you know, just, just said yes, basically. Mm. What was it like? Cause I mean, the, like working with all the drag queens, it must've been such like a lovely environment to be in, um, um, but very nerve wracking as well. I can imagine. They are formidable and uh, you've got to have, uh, how do I put this? Uh, are they like I love them all dearly, uh, but the first time I met them on mass was I'd already. So I was working in this bar called Glow Glows on Great Eastern Street in East London, and me and Clayton were there. And a chap came in who had a Bristolian accent, and he knew Clayton. He's called Glyn Fussell, and he runs a, a night called Sink the Pink. And, um, and Glyn, I just sort of met him and then it was through him that I met everyone and he invited me to go to the Glastonbury Festival that year. So I get put on this coach with like a coach of 50 people in, in that world. And I remember one of them came up to me. Uh, he was called, well, he is called John Sizzle. He's a good friend of mine now. And he came up to me and he looked at me and went, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm just a girl from Bristol. Um, <laughs> and then I just basically spent the weekend uh, uh, experiencing things that I, how do I put this? It was it was the most intense weekend I've ever had because these people are, are incredibly free mm. and inc- and and unapologetically themselves and I was sort of thrust into this well essentially a trailer full of tran uh, well oh I, we call, we called it the tranny trailer but it was of a time um <laughs> uh, but it was just full of drag queens and full of people from the queer community and I just had a raucous weekend with them all and that was how I basically was introduced to them all and then you know, doing bits and pieces of work at various bars at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. I did some stuff there. I also met another drag queen called Myra Dubois, um, who was recently on Britain's Got Talent. And I did loads of stuff with Myra for for, for ages. And um, yeah, it just, it just sort of snowballs, really. And you... Mm. Like you just have to have the type of personality as well. You can't come in there and try and start um, uh, controlling everything either. You have to just be like a good worker, you know. Just just do your job and do it well, and 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 don't try to to overtake things. Uh, I think mm. that's probably the best way to get into that world. But I, you know, you've got to, you've got to have a certain level of confidence to to to, to handle. I remember I was sat next to someone, and um, my like I, I I won't say who they are, but um, I was sat next to someone in the in in the trailer putting my makeup on I'll be honest back then I wasn't as flamboyant with my makeup as I am now it was actually a drag queen that told me I was putting blusher on 
And she says, she said to me, darling, if it doesn't look like third degree burns, it ain't a blush. (laughs) (laughs) So there was a, a, you know, like, and I always looked at drag queens and I always used to think, why can't women be that confident? Why can't Mm. like, you know, cisgendered women be that that spectacular and they have been you know you've got your shares you've got your bet middlers you've got all of your you know your divas and and i just thought i want to be that woman i want to be a, a you know i want to be a star and and I, and, th- and through the confidence of this group of people i i i sort of really found my voice Mm. I've been reading um, Women Don't Owe You Pretty by Florence Given at the moment. Ooh. And that she talks, uh, I recommend it enormously. She talks about how, you know, women, we, we adapt to this view of what men expect us to look like. And that's what we see as pretty. But obviously, you know, the queer community and the drag queens and all of them, they go for what they feel makes them pretty. Um even if it would make some people uncomfortable or, you know, and it's, it's a really good book and it does sort of put into perspective, like, why am I shaving my armpits? Why am I buying makeup? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's well, I've, I've always done myself up for fashion. Like I don't, I like, I'm happy to be without makeup. I don't have to do no makeup selfies or anything like that. Like I don't, mm. because I, I, I go without makeup and, and stuff, but makeup and fashion and clothes for me are, are that they are just a fashion decision that I've made but I really want women to get to a point where our looks are the most irrelevant part about us in whatever way that is Mm. and I like I like even with the body positivity movement it's still a lot about our our sort of naked bodies in underwear and I Mm -hmm. I, like I think it's like I you know I've got a friend called Felicity Hayward who is a um, a really successful plus size model. Well, she's a model. Let's just not preface it with plus size. She's a model. She's like a proper in magazines. She just catwalks. She's everything. Mm. And um, she like, she's part of this huge movement of like, you know, us being able to see, uh, uh, you know, bodies that are, we, we don't, wouldn't generally see in fashion editorial. And it's been fantastic. But what I, what I, and, and that for modeling is, is one thing, but what I would just really, love is for there to be another movement where women are just like funny and clever mm. and mm. listened to and all and and that stuff I I I sometimes look at Instagram and I see that it's all still very beauty focused and I and 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 people are getting like you know do what you want with your face but a pe- lot of people are getting fillers and um and Botox and I I don't know. I, I just, for me, I, I don't know if it, I would, it would feel real for me to, mm. you know, like, how is it, how is it truly confidence if I'm masking the thing that I think I'm insecure about? That's what I think. Mm. I try and push through my insecurities. Like, okay, I'm insecure about that thing. Um, do I want to change it? Normally the answer is no. Okay. Well then I just have to ignore the demons basically. Mm. On a um, feminist point, I wanted to ask you, um, everyone's talking about women in comedy um, and I actually studied it quite in depth when I was at uni. But one of the things that got me was when um, all the panel shows made that rule where they had to have at least one female representative. And I think it was back in 2014. And I'm curious to ask you as a female comedian, whether that encouraged you or whether you found that patronizing that how did what what was that sort of feeling around that or do you even recall it happening 
I, to be honest with you, I've always seen women on telly because I grew up watching Vicar of Dibley, French and Saunders, yeah. Ruby Wax, um, uh, uh, Kick, uh, Smack the Pony, uh, Julia Davies. There's been plenty of women in comedy. There hasn't been a lot doing. There has. I mean, I mean, there's been loads of women doing stand up as well. You've got Jenny Eclair. You've got Joe Colfield. You mm. have a huge. There's. There are. Um, there are comedians doing comedy, and there always has been. I think. I think there had like things like Mock the Week. It had blokes on it, and mm. and it's nice. That, uh, I don't know how. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think it's. I think the changes are important because I think mm. that women need to see other women being funny and smart and clever on stuff. There's definitely mm. something in that. So I, but I don't remember ever being annoyed about it because I, I always thought to myself, if I'm not getting something, if I if I feel like I deserve something and I'm not getting it, then obviously I'm not doing enough for it, if you get me. Yeah. I, I sort of, you know, I, 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 I try as much as I can to just see my journey and not really compare myself to other people. I don't generally follow that many. I've, I'm friend, I, I sort of follow um, comedians online, but I put, I mean, it's not because I hate everyone, but I put a lot of people on mute. In fact, I... A rare, I rarely follow comedians regularly because it's quite hard when you're in this job to, um, uh, you know, uh, do what you're doing and then go, oh, someone else has got this or someone else has got that. So I just sort of give myself a break uh, uh, every now and again from from because what we're doing on social media is advertising ourselves to an audience. We're not meant to be trying to advertise ourselves to comedians or other people in the same industry. So, I mean, and I don't mind if people mute me either. It's not, I, I, I don't, I don't have an issue with that uh, at all. Um, but it's just a little bit of self-preservation really. But I yeah. think back to your uh, question, uh, I, I've been inspired by female comedians my whole life and I never, felt when I was younger that there weren't enough on telly but maybe that was because I was always watching female comics like we like you know French and Saunders was huge in our house and anything that um either Jennifer Saunders Dawn French or Joanna Lumley did I we were watching it so I mm. I always saw women I, I I I you know I don't know if that's the same for other people I, I I think it's not because there's been a lot of conversations about it but it's definitely changed and you know all the that all the most successful shows in Edinburgh last year were all women. All of the ones that went off to tour were all girls. The, mm. the you know, women are really smashing it right now. It's a great time to be a bird in comedy. <laughs> that is good. That is reassuring to hear. Um, but I, I completely get your point on, you know, the comparison thing and sort of taking that step back because I think we do all fall into that trap. But I'm curious, you know, having been in this industry throughout the whole of your 20s, what what did you do? How did you keep going when things weren't going your way and you weren't getting the gigs? Um, because obviously there must've been dry spells in, in that. So how did you keep going? Now, in answer to this question, Emma, I'm going to say something radical. Oh. Do you know what I did? I got a job. <laughs> <laughs> I got a job waitressing. I waitressed until I was 31 years old. I worked in various call centers. It's always important when you're on the way up to make sure that you're earning. So I didn't want to put any pressure on this job financially. So there was never a moment where I was like in my early twenties and going, do you know what? I'm going to take the step. I'm going to, I'm going to take the first step and I'm going to get, not have a normal job. And I'm just going to focus on comedy because 
because it doesn't work like that. I always knew that I would stop having a normal job when the time came and I was doing more of the other work. I just let that naturally happen. And if it wasn't naturally happen, I didn't force it. Um, and I, yeah, just had a job and, you know, job gives you so much purpose. It gives you money in your bank. You can always pay your rent on time. And I was just able, I just go out and find a job. I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a terribly capable person. Um, I can, you know, do quite a lot of things. I've managed pubs. I've worked in call centers. I've, uh, a waitress, a, a absolute, well, can I swear on this? Yeah, of course you can. An absolute <laughs> fuck ton. I have done so much waitressing. I used to run a little kiosk in Islington because Lizzie's on the green. I was there for a couple of years and, and oh. uh, it's, you know, it's a really small place and we worked at 6am in the freezing cold over winter and and it just gave me purpose. I enjoyed the people I worked with. I My boss, Lizzie, was also my one of my best, well, is one of my best friends. And, and I just, you know, I just felt a... a I just had a job. And I think that's something as well. Like there's so many kids online, like holding up products to the camera and going, buy this. And kids are like now saying, oh, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And they're saying, oh, I want to be a YouTuber. It's so rare that you get to do that. And you, and like, Mm. you really have to, um, there's like a certain look that you have to have. There's a certain amount of makeup that you have to wear, especially when you're, uh, when you're female. Um, there's a, uh, there's a certain thing that you have to be. And if you don't have that thing, it doesn't mean that you're not like, I tried to do YouTube when I was in my, you know, there's an old load of old videos up on my old channels that I haven't taken down, but I tried to do the YouTube thing, but it's a lot of effort. And, and, and also I, I it just never felt, it never felt cool. It never felt real. It just Mm. I knew I had to be on stage, especially because I'd been on stage as a child as well. Like I knew that the stage was the place where I could be really my, I could really be myself. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I just get a job, get a job. And I know it's not what you want to hear, but <laughs> getting a job doesn't just give you money in your bank account. It gives you, it helps your mental health. It mm. gives you a place in the world. It gives you re- responsibility and it just helps your creativity because you are supporting yourself whilst you are learning how to be what you want to be. Mm. Also, you never know who you're going to meet. Like waitressing, you meet so many people. I, I used to do it when I was doing script writing a couple of years ago. I worked at this little American cafe and one time a guy came in and he worked in TV and I got chatting to him and now I work in TV and it's like, yeah, okay, I'm not saying that that was like a magic moment of fate, but like these things do influence you and you never know what what might happen. So It was in a cafe you? that I met a girl that uh, worked at the National Dance Company of Wales. We got talking, I served her and she asked me what I did and I told her I was a comic. I wasn't, I was lying about it for two years. And she, uh, and then she got in touch with me and said, I've got these friends that are um, needing a comedy insert into their show. Would you like to do it? And because of that meeting, I did my Mm. first Edinburgh in 2011. Granted, it wasn't the most successful of Edinburgh uh, performances ever, but (laughs) I started on a rose and I spent the last 10 years smashing Edinburgh in the dick. (laughs) (laughs) Which you definitely have done. And can I just say, I absolutely loved Serious Black Jumper. I thought it was so clever and funny and I have never understood the four waves of feminism better than the way you explained it. So thank you for that. (laughs) My pleasure. I'll be honest, it was a journey for me as well because I, there were many reasons why I did that show. 
One of the reasons was I was told by an ex-agent that uh, I wasn't being booked for work because people didn't see me as a stand-up, so I wanted to change that. Mm. I was told uh, that, you know, I, I noticed the year before I'd done a show that was all glitz and glam and it was, you know, tales of drag queens and songs with Richard Thomas on the piano and all of this stuff. And I, I sort of came out of that and I was sort of being pigeonholed into this sort of cabaret box. And I want, mm. you know, like I'm a stand up. That's what I am. Um, so I just sort of stripped it all back and proved to the industry that I, I'm also, as well as all this stuff, I'm also someone that can talk for an entire hour without any gimmicks. Mm. And finally, before we we move on to the game, looking back, did you ever expect any of this to happen? <laughs> yes, I did. I, I always, love that. Yes. I always knew. I always knew I'd do it. I um and I still think I'd I still think I've got like I I I just know I I just know <laughs> which I know is really uncomfortable uh and like people will deny it and and I've upset people before uh, being this I wouldn't even call it confidence it's not confidence because confidence is the is the belief in something it's the belief within yourself but i i i I just think facts are facts emma (laughs) (laughs) i'm funny therefore i'm gonna be good yeah no i'm funny but also like i i'm funny but also like i'll do the work that is Mm. that is required to to get what I want to have. I I don't, I think because of my upbringing and always being told to, I, you know, I've had a job since I was 15 and, and I, I, you know, I had this sort of sensibility like now I, um, but I, I, you know, my parents are definitely working class. My dad, my dad was essentially, uh, raised in poverty and, and my mum, you know, they didn't have much money. They had enough, but they didn't have much money growing up. And they've, they always sort of afforded the life that we, you know, if us, us kids wanted to do something. They always said yes. And they would just find the money to help, to help make that happen. So my mum always says to me, you're not working class. We are, um, <laughs> uh, <but laughs> I, um, yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to private school or anything, but I, I sort of grew up, I grew up with this idea that if you want something you have to earn it and you have to work for it as well and I think there's a lot of fear um from uh people have with education and this fear is not knowing but you have to Mm. not know uh stuff Mm. like it's good to like be in a situation where you're you're not as good as everyone else so I always sort of so that's why I'm sure that's so that's why I'm sure it's going to work because I don't know if failure exists in creativity I just, I, I mean, unless I'm like wildly offensive online, which I'm never going to be because I'm not like that. But mm-hmm. I, I, um, and I, you know, if I ever accidentally do something like that, I would hope that the people that I, you know, fans that I've cultivated uh, in my, it, it, with the job that I've got, I, I hope that they're like the types of people that like me who were sort of compassionate and forgiving. That's why I put that message into the show last year, mm. which is, you know, find compassion in human beings because we're really losing it uh, losing a lot of that at the moment you know there's a lot of sort of um he said that she said this there's uh, good and bad sides which is an incredibly like this idea that people are like um th- this group of people are good and this pe- group of people are bad it's such a, it's i'll be honest i went to christ i went to cub school it's a very christian way of thinking mm. to just believe that if you do good deeds and you're virtuous that you're a good person it doesn't work like that humans are way more complicated mm. and and I, I just, I sort of, I just believe that when you're a creative, there's no, there's no such thing as failure. It's just a journey that you're on and that journey is for life. So if you want to be creative and you want to be an artist in whatever form, it's a, it's a lifestyle change and you will be doing that for the rest of your life. 
And I think that's so true when we talk about failure as well. I'm a sucker for Elizabeth Day's How to Fail podcast and she's really mapped stuff out for me in a very helpful way in the sense that failure is a part of us and it will always happen and you just have to decide how you're going to A, approach it, but also like use it, if that that makes sense. Something else, yeah, definitely does. And something else I want to say as well is that I think that after people have listened to this podcast, don't find another podcast that's going to give you the same answers. Like, just go and do it now. Like, don't, don't wait to find another podcast to listen to more people giving you advice. One should do. Mm, yeah, that's so true. One podcast should should be enough for you to do it. And if you're not doing it, then there's something blocking you and you need to find out what that thing is. You need to... Ha- face it dead on handle the the handle what it means and how much it makes you upset and and just drive yourself through it like you're in a snowmobile just get through it it's hard it's hard and 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 working out working out life is hard work it's not meant to be easy people on the internet make it look easy because they've curated their lives but life is hard and if you can get through those difficult times you can succeed on the other side Normally a millennial mind sweeper, we do it that I will read out some quotes and you've got to determine whether they're true or false. But I've decided that all of the quotes on the internet about 20 somethings are really quite depressing. So I've decided to take just other nice quotes about growing up and basically what we've been talking about. And we're just going to chat about them and see if you agree with them or not. Cool. Cool. Pay for it. our, Our first one is wherever you go there's a 500 pound load of shit waiting for you and that's perfectly fine the point isn't to get away from the shit the point is to find the shit you enjoy dealing with Ooh, that's nice that was mark mark manson subtle art of not giving a fuck i think that yeah don't sweep your shit under the carpet go through it and there's always some good bits in there like you know Mm. my the thing with my sister could have absolutely floored me it could have been the end of my life she was my everything I spent my entire life uh trying to be her and uh following her around she even taught me how to smoke um uh you know like I had this I had this life with her we used to go on holidays together as well with we had the same group of best friends for a while in our life and she was my everything and then I lost her and I and and that could have floored me but after someone dies it takes you a while to find the normal again because mm. life completely changes and and change is always very difficult to handle but it was in that shit I sort of like just go oh, I don't want this bit but oh this bit's all right I'll keep that and I'll put that there and you know like that yeah I think wading through the shit there's some there's always some gold I think it's like you know those people that go on the beach with those um those sieves and they and they, <laughs> and they scoop up sand and rocks and they and they go through it and they'll find treasure you know yeah oh what a nice metaphor for life yeah I, yeah. I, I hear that <laughs> okay our second one is I found that being in your 20s you're either planning for the future or reminiscing on the past it's often very difficult to stay present what do you think about that yeah definitely um I think the past is very important because it it's like history is important um you can't change history although lots of people try and I think it ties back into what we were saying earlier of like it it, it's hard when to notice when something's going really well and as you said to take those 10 minutes of your day and I often find I'm literally like I'm not even living for right now I'm like constantly planning what I'm doing later or or reminiscing on like something I did and 
and I, I find it very, very hard to stay in the present. So, do you know what I've done as well? I found um, I'm, uh, I've got, I'm obsessed with my new coffee cups. I got them from a <laughs> shop in Cardiff called Eartha, which is actually the building that I used to manage when it was something else. And I bought this coffee cup, and I like to make a coffee in it, and I sit with it, and it gives me a little ten minutes, and it it's just a it's just a coffee cup I like, and it just. I have a nice cup of coffee in it and I just sit and I think and I do that every day. And I until I got this cup, I wasn't doing that. So I think find some physical, actual thing that gives you that moment to have a bit of peace, you know? Mm, and mm. peace isn't just and you know, I'm saying this on a podcast, but peace isn't just listening to other people. Peace is silence. Like just let your brain do the talking. Because mm. your your brain knows you way better than anything we could say. Like I love I love spa days i mean that can be quite pricey but like i go for a hammam spa in westcliff and it's great this woman just washes me she just washes me (laughs) head to toe i'm totally naked you go in you have a sauna for 20 minutes and then you come out she washes you and then she uses this mitt and she just gets rid of all the dead skin off of you and then she washes you with cold water and then she puts you in a dressing gown and you sit and you have a cup of peppermint tea afterwards oh lovely I might give that a go. Ooh, I, I, that. I really, I really ad, um, advise people to go for a hammam and also being naked with another woman's really nice as well. It's good. To, I find that nakedness with people a couple of times a year, I can't do it too much, but a couple of times a year, nakedness with people that doesn't involve sex is also really good for the mind as well. But, uh, my best mate, she, um, she does uh she she does cold water swimming so she finds the coldest water in the world and she gets in she did minus two in finland she loved oh it my gosh. and she gets oh into saunas and gets herself like natural highs oh that's another thing is find a natural high in life don't you know lots of people sort of you know, have a cup of coffee or you know they'll smoke a spliff or you know they'll do sort of recreational drugs and stuff but if you make sure that if you're finding yourself recreationally getting high, just at some point in your life, find that high from something natural. Because mm. then you know you can achieve it on your own and not just from some synthetic thing that makes you happy for a moment. Find a natural high. Yeah, mm. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay, our, our final one is... There have always been and always will be people of influence, but social media influencers aren't the same as their predecessors. They're gorgeous people who do gorgeous things, beautiful people with beautiful problems. They are what we all wish we were, yet no one can truly attain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's I, mean, no. I, w- I don't know if I agree with the last bit though. They're what we all wish we were. I I don't want to be these people. I I couldn't think of anything worse, to be quite honest. (laughs) I don't want to be these people, but also I'm not their target demographic because their target demographic are insecure people that give them money. Mm. I think that the the word influencer, I mean, I watched The Social Dilemma and they they referred... Oh, it's terrifying, isn't it? (laughs) Terrifying. But that sentence he said, you know, there's only two industries in which they refer to the people that use it as users, and that is the drug industry and social Mm. media. Just keep yourself on the I always think err on the side of caution your Mm. beliefs may feel like you really believe them but let yourself be wrong sometimes let yourself make a mistake and it doesn't have to mean that you're a terrible person it just means you've made you you've made you've made a mistake you've 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 sided maybe with the wrong person or maybe that person that you sided with and you don't like that thing they're doing they they made a mistake and maybe you just need to be a bit compassionate for that uh, for a bit. I don't know. I, I just, I just think like people 
people need to rem- remember their own identity when they, when they enjoy someone online. Mm. Remember who yeah. you are. Remember the person you grew up being. Remember the person that your parents love or like, you know, that, you know, your siblings love or, or, you know, if you're an only child, the friends that you had when you were growing up, remember that person because that person's mm. still there and that person's still important. She's just, or he's just, or they're just a, a more, you're now just an older version of that person. Mm. And on that note, thank you, Jade Adams, for being unequivocally yourself all the time. Um, This has been such a fun chat. And honestly, I was so nervous before because I just love you so much. But um, this, yeah, you've you've really, your confidence just shines through everything. And um, thank you for being so, so you. Well, it's important to remember that this confidence that I exude isn't always there all the time. I don't bang on about it all the time because I you know, that's private. And I hope that I, I, I just, yeah, it's not there all the time. I'm not, you know, some bastion of confidence constantly because constant confident people are irritating. (laughs) (laughs) And, and not being true to themselves either. Cause that's, that's, you have to, you have to be down to feel up. So I think that's uh, something I learned in psych. I had psychotherapy a little while ago, um, which is an expensive thing to have. Um, but I, um, I sort of had, I had a little bit of cash from an advert that I'd done. So I sort of spent it on sorting out some stuff in my head and, one of the things that I um I got from that is about being true to myself and myself. Uh, it was working out what that meant. It was working out what is myself. So I think that just remember who you are because who you are is is important. And it, but it's important to you. It doesn't have to. Don't don't. Like, you remember the kids at school who were popular. Like what are they doing now? <laughs> like the popularity and people liking you isn't important at all but uh, but liking yourself is way more important than that forget what other people think about you jade my cheeks are still sore from smiling so much throughout that chat thank you so much for coming on the podcast it was a real pleasure chatting to you if you guys at home haven't already done so do go and check out jade's serious black jumper sketch on amazon prime a really really brilliant piece of stand-up so do go and check it out as always a big thanks to the composer and producer of this podcast Pete Haff and a huge thank you to you guys at home for listening I love hearing your suggestions and reading your reviews so please do keep them coming in and yeah I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will see you very soon